0: Hello world! Welcome to the Innovation Squadcast. Innovation squad, transforming school, it's the innovation squad making instruction brand new it's the innovation squad Innovation is key. It's the innovation squad from Berkeley County. It's the innovation squad transforming school. It's the innovation squad Making instruction brand new it's The Innovation Squad Innovation is key. It's the innovation squad from Berkeley County. My name is David Kelly.
1: Nicola Point, Bill Sheridan, Wendy
2: Valachek, Jessica Levine, Priscilla Calcutt,
0: and we are a part of the Berkeley County School District Innovation Squad. Today's episode, Personalized Learning. So, South Carolina Department of Education has created this framework for personalized (laughs) learning. Um, First, let's start off. What are our ideas surrounding personalized learning as a topic as a whole?
3: Identifying students' strengths and weaknesses. Tailoring their learning to meet their needs.
4: Right. Giving students more voice and choice and ownership in their learning
2: experiences. Having learning really centering around the student and not necessarily just the, the teacher, but more about the student.
1: Letting students dig deeper. Mm allowing students to become creators and not consumers
0: all right so we threw out a lot of those keywords right and these keywords are are used quite often in education but like I said the the great people at the Department of Education for South Carolina they've actually broken these down and put them into four different categories Um, so starting with student ownership
2: part of student ownership is really for students to know how they learn best for them to be able to set up their own goals um, for their learning. For them to understand how they can show their learning best and have some options with that.
3: Learner profiles are um, records for students that that allow us to have a better understanding of how our students learn, um, what progress we're making towards uh, meeting their needs.
2: One thing when you think about how learner um, profiles feeds into student ownership if we know more about um, ourselves as a learner we're better able to set goals and to be able to own our own path of learning
0: exactly the um, the framework actually states that students know what they are learning why they're learning and how they will learn it and also how they will know um, and show when they have learned it so the learner is being held accountable, they know, I mean, everything that's going on throughout their own individual learning process. Um, And as as Priscilla stated, goal setting and reflections are constant. I mean, that's key. That's the only way we can really see our growth. All right, so Phil brought up those learner profiles, which is the next component um, identified in personalized learning by the South Carolina State Department of Education, um. Anybody want to share your ideas on learner profiles?
1: My learning profile isn't going to look the same as Jessica's learning profile. Our needs are all always going to be different. The the how
2: and the way I learn is oh, is going to be different. When you think about the the data piece to that, it's not always a academic typical type of data like a test score. It may really be about your interest or about um, the way that I learn best, maybe my learning style.
4: The key thing about the learner profiles is that it's going to be up to date and it's also coming from multiple sources. So just like Priscilla mentioned, it may not be academic based, but you're looking at the students' interests as well and you're allowing them um, to use their interests and you're looking at that academic data to help best identify their um, learning pathways.
3: You're also doing it in a way that students understand their own learner profiles, too, which kind of goes back into that student ownership over their own learning. They they understand their profiles, and they understand how to, to look at data for themselves to see how they're progressing in, in their own way. One way I like to kind of explain it is that
0: for learner profiles, we're looking at who the student is as an individual, as a person, and who they are as a learner, putting those together to identify strategies to best meet them and their learning goals and needs.
2: I really liked how um, Jessica brought up the point that it has to be up-to-date. In the past, um, I know that we've created long-range plans and things like that. We do all of this um, interest inventory. We learn to find out what reading levels our students are functioning at. But this seems to be an ongoing process. So then um, we're able to continue to build that profile and how that student learns best and what they're interested
4: in? When I was in the classroom, um, I know a lot of times people look at if students are auditory learners, if they're um, visual learners, but I tend to go deeper. Um, I used to use Gardner's Multiple Intelligence Survey, and I would look at if the students are visual or spatial learners, if they're interpersonal learners, if they're intrapersonal learners. I know for me, um, as a learner, I'm definitely an intrapersonal learner. But just knowing that there are so many different learning styles, like I use that as well to help with my students' um,
2: learning experiences. And soft skills, um, that feeds into it as well. Um, For a person to be able to identify what soft skills they're best at and which ones that they they need to improve upon.
0: So we're looking at more than just what the standards say. We're looking at that person as, as, as a person. All right, so based on learner profiles, we can create learning pathways that are personalized for each student, all right? So personal well, personalized learning pathways is the next component identified by the Department of Education uh, from the state of South Carolina. Anybody wanna dig a little deeper into learning pathways?
1: I think going back on what Jessica said, um, that Things do even your pathway changes. It's not going to be set at the beginning of the year and you stay on that. Um, that. that's something that can change also as you're, as you're learning and growing.
0: And with it being personalized, say you have eighteen kids in your classroom, you can have eighteen kids in your classroom and twenty different learning pathways going on. So each individual student can have their own learning pathway, and their learning pathways can shift. So one student might be on two different learning pathways in one unit
2: think about um, being standards driven that if you had a standard to multiply um, two digit um, numbers you know you might be in the learning progression at the very onset because you don't really have your multiplication facts down well but someone else may be entering at a different place in the progression to learn that particular standard
3: and students too with their pathways that the more they better understand their profile and their, their own strengths and weaknesses, they can help to self-select some of their own pathways so that they stay ultimately engaged in their learning which engagement will hopefully connect with a, a better mastery of whatever it is that they are learning. And I also like the idea of the pace of the instruction
0: is personalized. So if traditionally in education. I don't know why. Teachers like to give tests on Fridays, right? You go through the week, I'm going to start on Monday and I'm going to test you on Friday. But what if, say, Phil, you know, Phil's a genius over here, so (laughs) Phil masters content on Tuesday. So we're just going to have him practicing what he already mastered the rest of the week and just hold him back. And then we have... uh, (laughs) We have me. I'm the slow kid in the class. So... I it's Friday, and I still don't get it. So you're going to push me on to the next week, and I'm, I'm just going to be held back now. I mean, not held back, but I, I'm just not going to get it because now we're going to move on to the next thing next week.
5: And I like that they can dig deeper at their own pace. So I might take additional time to dig deeper into something I'm interested in where other students are already accelerated and beyond that point because it's their own
1: personal learning pathway. I feel like so many times we're on this, everybody has to learn at the same pace, and so we're only able to skim the surface of anything. We don't ever, most kids don't ever get that deep knowledge of of any content. It's just the
2: basic knowledge, and then we move on. And in um, Berkeley County, we have that common curriculum that does have a common pacing for those instructional units, and let's say that first grade has six instructional units, that first unit may be paced out for six weeks. But you can still um, have students have their own individual learning pathways and adjust that pace of instruction because, um, you know, they might be working on one standard for a couple of weeks where another student might need to work on that one standard for the entire time for that instructional unit. So that still allows some flexibility there. Mm,
0: you said a powerful word right there.
2: Move it to the next Flexibility. <laughs> All right, so
0: the third component of personalized learning identified by the State Department of Education for South Carolina is flexible learning environments. So oftentimes when we think about flexible learning environments, what's the first thing that comes to mind?
4: Flexible seating. <laughs> flexible seating. Everybody
0: wants those yoga balls and, and you know, they want... The kids to look comfortable, right? They think about the physical learning environment, but not really paying attention to the the, the the cognitive learning environment.
2: Or how the learning environment can support things like the four Cs. You know, how does my environment support collaboration? Do I allow people to, to get out of their seat and move and go talk to someone next door because this is a collaborative type of activity? Mm-hmm. But, but doesn't also- it
5: doesn't have to stop there. It doesn't have to stop in the classroom. When I go home, maybe I want to continue researching and call my friend and collaborate with Jessica.
2: Flexible as a rubber
5: band.
1: <laughs> I think that's my favorite one. So often we stop when we leave the the four walls of our classroom, and um, you know we've checked it off and we don't go back to it. And allowing kids to keep going back to things, um, it's kind of like one of the, I love blogs because as you look at a blog. You know, somebody will write a blog, and then months later, you'll go back to that same blog to ref- um, to use it as a reference. And they've um, ha- have the strike through where the um, they've changed their thoughts, and and they've changed, you know, the resource. And I love that. That's they're my favorite. I, right there, it's always evolving. I love that part of. That's one of the things I I love about blogs.
0: So flexible learning environment takes place all the time everywhere beyond the school walls beyond the school day beyond the school year even
3: you know i think flexible uh flexible learning environments and pathways once the students understand that concept that school can have a more positive outlook to be more motivated to know that they don't it's not a one-size-fits-all model that there's multiple means of getting to the to the same place that we're all trying to get to Um, so i think that's real important that students see that Um, and understand what personalized learning is for them as well.
2: And I think in the workforce, uh, many work environments are already set up like this. And so, you know, they don't have everyone at work sitting in in rows and desks. So, you know, um, we want to help prepare them for the future and for this global society. There really aren't walls Mm -hmm. there. So how can we operate and be successful?
4: And just to add to what Priscilla was just saying, um it's important for our students to know how to learn because that's one of those world class skills that's on the profile of a South Carolina graduate and we also want them to be um self-directed learners. Those are some of those life and career characteristics that um, not only will they utilize while they're in the you know K through twelve setting, but they'll use in a lifetime.
0: All right, so we looked at this framework and you know some people may be thinking, That sounds all good and dandy, but How can this actually be applied? In a second, we're gonna have a quick interview with a couple of teachers right here in Berkeley County who are trying this out this year in their classrooms. Stay tuned. Hey, social media
2: users. Are you looking for a one-stop tech shop? For quick tips to implement in the classroom right away, technology resources, and tech updates, well will look no further than BCSD Tech Team. Follow us on Twitter at BCSD Tech Team and check out our Facebook page, the BCSD Innovation Squad.
6: Hey everyone, this is Jed Derryberry, the Director of Professional Development and Communications for the Palmetto State Teachers Association. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Innovation Squadcast. We just wanted to stop in and tell you how proud we are of these guys for the podcast and to invite you to join us at one of our EdCamp Palmetto events this year. If you'd like to know more about EdCamp Palmetto, check us out at www.edcamppalmetto.weebly.com. Dot com. We have several events coming up this year. We've got one at USC Aiken on November 10th. We've got one at Francis Marion on February 9th. And one at the College of Charleston North Campus, April the 27th. We'd love to see you there. For more information, contact me at MrDairyBerry at PalmettoTeachers.org. Again, that's Mr. MrDairyBerry at PalmettoTeachers.org. We look forward to seeing you at EdCamp Palmetto.
0: We're here today at Cross elementary school in cross south carolina and we are here with the fabulous fifth grade team we have miss courtney howe and miss crystal stevens hi along with their amazing instructional coach miss priscilla morgan mac all right so we're here talking today about personalized learning all right this year they've started to personalize learning in the classroom for their students we kind of want to start off how do you define personalized learning? There's so many different definitions and ideas of what personalized learning is.
7: How do you define it? Well, I define personalized learning based on what fits the students. So they're learning at their pace. They're learning the best way they can learn for far as if they're visual, they're tactile, um, et cetera, um, just what fits their needs and what they need to be able to be successful in the classroom.
8: And with personalized learning, we are more on the level of not a one-size-fits-all. We want to make sure that all students are working at their best ability level and that we are giving them exactly what they need as far as being student-centered. So
0: looking at this framework South Carolina has created for personalized learning, How would you say that you you are utilizing this framework?
8: Well, with the framework that South Carolina put out, with the learner profiles, each one of us kind of went in and figured out how the students learn best through a website. And we figured which component was the student, whether they were a visual learner, tactile, kinesthetic, or auditory learner. And using that information, we broke
7: down our lessons based off of those different learning styles. And we went through and created stations that will provide them with those different types of learning styles. And we are learning, we're using more technology in the classroom when it comes to their learning styles.
0: Okay, so you mentioned the technology piece. Do you believe that technology is necessary for personalized learning? No. Okay, I just want to throw that out there because a lot of times people want to equate personalized learning to technology. And, you know, we want that to be known that it's not necessary because everyone doesn't learn that way, right?
8: Exactly. But it is definitely a help, a big help.
7: (laughs) And I also think the technology keeps them interested because they have the love for technology. What components of your classroom look
8: different this year as opposed to previous years?
7: Well, I think I have a lot of components this year that are different. I personally see myself as one of those old school teachers where I'm teaching, you're taking out these notes, and we're gonna learn that way. But this year, I have to adjust because I'm doing more, everything more student-centered. So my classroom setup for my kids as far as where they sit, they are not at normal desks. They have tables and chairs, so they're more like at a cafe as my team member uses in her classroom instead of just sitting at their desk and doing the work. They're also allowed to move around the classroom I have have uh, couches and chairs that are available for them to sit in. They can sit on the carpet. And then the, because we have the stations, they're moving around throughout the day, and they're not just in one spot. So
8: that's a flexible environment.
7: Yes. And so as a teacher, how is this making you feel? Because like you said, previous year old style, so it's something you're not used to. It takes adjustment, but I'm, I am adjusting. I'm actually liking it more. <laughs> Because it allows them to be accountable, and I'm holding them accountable. And because of my stations, they know that they have to get the station done because even though they're doing it independently, I'm still checking for the accuracy in what they're doing. And they're going to be accounted for if they're not done.
8: Exactly. Um definitely a big change for me this year as well um it was definitely an eye-opener for me and it also just allowed me the opportunity to see what my students know because a lot of times we push things on students and we don't even know where they are we don't know um, what they can come to the table with so giving them that opportunity to show what they know and to kind of facilitate themselves through it, to teach themselves. And if they need help, I'm right there to assist them in any way that's possible.
7: And then I also like the fact, because it's self-paced, self-taught, there's less frustration. So I don't see anybody stressing out, feeling like, oh my gosh, I didn't get this. I need to get it because we gotta move on. They know that they have time. It's not rushed. If they don't get it today or tomorrow, they still got time to get it because I'm not going to rush them and say, okay, boom, 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 you got to get this done. We got to move on.
4: And we got
8: a quiz Friday or exactly. something like that. So they don't feel that pressure mm-hmm. for, um, you know, that I, I just got to get this done because I know it's the quiz and like it takes a lot of stress off the kids. Mm-hmm. So
0: a flexible environment mm-hmm. helps the students' self-esteem. Exactly.
8: exactly.
7: And I think they feel more comfortable and they're liking the learning process.
8: Mm-hmm. Yeah students from last year are they more willing to do what you asked them to do in terms of completing assignment, practicing doing work? Yes. Uh, yes, they're definitely
0: more willing. So going into this year, how comfortable were you with uh, trying to transform your classroom?
7: Wasn't comfortable at all. <laughs> I was like, um, when is Mr Kelly coming back? <laughs> because I need this one on one time.
8: Right.
7: But as it progressed and I've done my own research and I'm gathering my own data. I'm becoming more familiar with it. I think getting through unit one, I know I'll be even more ready for unit two and the rest of my units because I have this foundation now and I know what I need to do and I know what's working for my kids in my classroom.
0: Expectations have been set. Exactly. Or are being set.
8: Exactly. I'm a person that stress a lot when I don't fully understand something. So I spent a lot of time, as Miss Howell did, researching, trying to figure out how I was going to best help myself and my students at the same time. So a lot of researching, but after a few weeks into it, you know, a lot of the pressure was released and I feel more comfortable. Well, as I'm walking around, peeking in the doors, I know some days you do see me in there. I can see the kids actually rotating and actually i don't see any of you know i used to stop touch i actually see the kids just going and going that's what they're supposed to do oh yeah i think even with behavior like the kids are definitely like they're on track the kids have a copy of what standard that they should be focusing on so they are definitely like trying to increase and get mastery on it so they are definitely more responsible for their learning and they want to learn and they want to get that green mastery. So.
7: And we also have in our classroom what we call, I call mine the Bravo board. And she calls her the leaderboard. leaderboard. Mm -hmm. And so we put our top six between the two classes. Mm -hmm. So they're excited to see their names moving because it's not going to be the same all the time. It's based on how many skills you have mastered. So Mm -hmm. as they're mastering the skills and we're putting up their badges, they're like, oh, I got three. Or, oh, such and such is ahead of me. So it, it brings that competitiveness because they want to earn more badges. So they're doing the work so that they can get up on that leaderboard.
0: So how do they earn their badges?
7: They earn the badges based on mastering their standard. So when they get the green light for their master, then we give them their badge. So for every standard they master, they get a badge for that standard. And we are keeping track on our website that Mr. Kelly assisted us on. And then we also have their names posted in the hallway so that they can see and plus their fellow peers can see what they're doing as well.
8: The mastery, we take a pretest at the beginning of each unit and then for each standard that they master, then they either come in with a mastery or they are working towards gaining that mastery. So that's how they earn their badges.
0: So, kind of talked about how you started off with your pre-assessment and moved from there.
8: Can you kind of walk
0: me through your first couple of weeks getting started?
7: The first couple of weeks we started with the learner profiles, and getting them to take the inventory test so we can learn their learning styles. And then once we did the learning styles, I had them complete a uh, profile sheet where I asked them various questions, you know, what things they like to do when they're learning. Or, you know, do they like, what kind of imitatives do they like, or what kind of things they use on the computers that they feel that assist them with their learning. And then from doing those questions, then I created my stations. So I have several different stations that I'm using. Um, I use Gizmos, which has the manipulatives on there, but it's through technology, which they love.
0: And you teach math.
7: I teach so math. That one out
0: there, yes. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah,
7: I do math. Mm-hmm. And then I also use um, Ed Puzzle, which provides them with videos that they can actually see someone doing that skill, because and it holds them
0: accountable.
7: Exactly, it holds them accountable. Within those videos, they have questions that they have to answer they cannot skip through the video they have to watch the video through its entirety and answer those questions and so they do that and then i also utilize the textbook because i might have those students where they have to have that textbook they have to know they're doing something on paper to hold them accountable and then i utilize task cards which gives them another way to do hands-on and move around the classroom and then um when they feel that they've done all of those tasks then they have their enrichment project. They have to create, it may be through Google Slides, it might be a Kahoot, whatever you know, technology they want to use to show me that they've mastered that skill. And then they're allowed to take their quiz. And if they receive mastery on that quiz, then they can move on to the next standard. All
0: right, so what lessons would you say you've learned so far or? What are some things that you have changed or may want to do differently moving forward?
8: What I've learned so far is that these students will surprise you with what they know. What you think that they couldn't do, they can do. Like just with a little bit of, you know, facilitating from the teacher or just a a little push. They can, they can, yeah, some guidance. They can definitely shock you with some of the things that they can create with their understanding of context and just even just going through the normal flow of rotations, like they can definitely move from station to station, just set those expectations in the beginning and everything will definitely go smoothly.
0: Okay, so what are, you talk about with some of the things that they create that could surprise you. What are some of the, I guess, most surprising creations that the students have, have been able to create to show you what they...
8: Well, one wow. of my students created a scratch, um, which is like a cartoon, a digital cartoon, and he kind of put words to it and he taught me a lesson using that and I I didn't know anything about it, so it was definitely a shocker to me. I was like, "Wow." And so he was going around the class and showing the other kids and so they were excited about doing that. They wanted to create mm-hmm. it. So he was coding and he was, you know, creating this lesson. So he did a good job. Wow. Yeah.
7: And that same student in my class, he did the same thing, but he did his with math. So when the little cartoon characters are talking, I was like, oh, I was like, I didn't know you can do this. I was shopping but I was made. So same thing. He had other students in the class like, oh, I want to do that. So I think it's very neat with the things they can create and show you and they teach you
0: mm-hmm. also. And then looking at something like that, this this could be a possible career choice for him. Right. Uh, making a lot of money. Yes, right. a
7: right. lot engineering, of engineering money. is fueling. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. is. So, as your instructional coach/slash reading
8: coach, um, <laughs> what can I do to assist you both to make sure that the students are successful as well as you? I don't know. Right now, you're doing a good job coming around and you know ensuring that we have all the resources that we need. So, I mean, just being readily available if we need to.
0: Same here. So, is there anything you want the, the, the people, our listeners, <laughs> to know? Any last words, closing remarks, benediction?
7: <laughs> I would just say always believe in your students. Don't doubt them because they will surprise you. And set standards. If you have high expectations, they will meet those expectations. But you have to have them in place.
8: And don't be afraid of personalized learning. I was at first, but I feel that through personalized learning, my students are more successful in the classroom.
0: That growth mindset, right? Exactly. Yes. Exactly. And we always got to keep the students first, right? So, this is David Kelly with Priscilla Morgan Mack,
8: Crystal Stevens,
7: and Courtney Howell,
0: and we are signing off.
1: Innovation. Thanks for coming in. Ha!
4: Ha! Ha! I'm here to check out the biting kits.
1: The biting kits? We don't have those, but we do have IT kits.
4: IT kits? Hmm. Tell me about this.
1: They're instructional technology kits available for checkout from our department.
4: We have a breakout kit. Hmm. I like to break up.
1: We also have Makey Makeys, Little Bits, Rube Goldberg kits, and Google cardboard viewers in case you want to check on the bats in your hometown.
4: Oh, I've missed the bats in Transylvania.
1: We also have Ozobots, Snap Circuits, Dash and Dot, Cardboard Creations, Osmos, and a Builder's Kit.
4: How do I get an IT kit?
1: For additional information about instructional technology kits, please contact your school's instructional technologies. Kits are available for checkout for up to two weeks while supplies last.
4: Hmm. I'm excited to check out an IT kit, but I still need a biting kit. We're moving into our next segment of Q&A. Thank you so much for sharing your questions with us. We're going to start answering.
0: First question. How can I have my students use their Chromebooks to the fullest? besides simply having them use them to type their essays and submit assignments on Google Classroom.
1: I think this goes back to um, our first segment of personalized learning and having students become creators, not consumers, um, and allowing students um, looking at your standards. Where where do your standards fall in the level of cognitive demand with Depth of Knowledge and Bloom's Taxonomy? and finding tools that are associated with the verbs in
2: your actual standard. Yeah, having that connection and that match, not just using this technology when the the standard doesn't really call for it at that level for a instant substitution. If it's a recall standard, then that would be appropriate, but if it's a, a standard that calls for creating, you know, you would want to to do it that way. Looking at
0: how your students are using the devices. so. Even looking at that SAMR model, bringing the SAMR model into it, as Priscilla said, are you only on that substitution level, or are you moving throughout, um, getting your students to become those creators of the content rather than just consumers of it?
2: And if you're in Berkeley County, by chance, in the instructional units on the unit planning organizers, there are some... um, tech ideas that are embedded within all of the ELA curriculum units. So that might be a a good start. All right. And
1: we've worked um, in the technology department on planning considerations for technology integration. So that would be another great resource
2: for you to use.
0: Yeah, that slice of the pie.
2: Yeah. It poses some questions for you to think about while you are um, doing your instructional planning and how how you might embed technology.
0: All right. Our next question How can I make presentations more innovative? Oh,
5: there's lots of ways to do that. You can try Nearpod. Um, Nearpod works to make the lessons more interactive. There's room for collaborative discussion. You can try Pear Deck. Um, Also, on Google Slides, you can do the Q&A tool. What else?
3: Right in Presenter View in Google Slides. Right, yes having students submit questions throughout your presentation and answering them along the way, or putting it back to the students, having them answer some of the questions that were posed uh, during class, uh, during that presentation.
2: So making it more interactive that way, yes. Mm -hmm. Or
3: even looking at uh,
0: different instructional models, so maybe a flipped model, where your presentation is actually a video they do at home, or um, at some other time, and when they come in, they can spend all the class time practicing.
1: I know as a math teacher, um, I taught sixth grade math, and that was my favorite. I would create videos for them to watch for for homework, and it was five minutes or less my entire lesson that would normally take 45 minutes just to get through the lecture. And then because they were watching the flipped videos at home, they were able to come in and ask questions, and I was beside them doing the homework that they would have typically gotten um, to take home to do by themselves. And I know parents loved it because in middle school, I know that they would say how they couldn't um, help them because they don't do y'all don't do it like you used like we used to do it. Or
2: they don't remember how. Or they don't know.
1: remember how, so they would um, watch the videos that I would create, and that would help them
5: also. Right. Oh, so that goes right back to our personalized learning, that flexible learning environment. It doesn't have to be just inside those school
0: walls. Oh right. So our next question. I would like to learn about some sites or activities that would be great to use with middle school level choice boards. Choice boards. There we go. I'm finding it difficult to make the different choices, equally challenging, meet the interests of students, and still meet the
2: standards. So glad in that question she included that keyword standards. Because that's really where we want to start with um, that activities or the experiences that we're providing for our students. We want to start with the standard first before planning and choosing those.
1: That task before tools. And I think
0: for this question something like a rubric might be helpful. So a rubric would hold everyone to that same standard uh, making sure what you want to be addressed is addressed and they're just able to create or uh, address that that standard, or show you what they know in their own way. Rubrics can be kind of tricky because you don't want the rubric to limit their creativity, which it oftentimes does. A lot of times we have those students who will do only what the rubric tells them to do.
2: Minimum expectation. Exactly. So
0: we don't want to create a rubric that will do that. So maybe having some uh, flexibility in there that allows for students to be more creative and not only do what you tell them to do.
2: They have the word equally challenging. I know with choice boards, you might even associate some point a point value to it. So some of the tasks that you consider easier, you may only give low numbers of points for that. And then the tasks that are harder give more points to. Or even having some must-dos and some can-dos on there. Um,
3: Can to use color-coded, you? Color you know, green, red, or select the red? red choices, they have to pick two. If they did green, then they only pick one. So you can vary the, the how in-depth those tasks go or vary the, uh, the level of difficulty, I guess, if you will. But,
2: but having that variety of difficulty, I think, will be important for um, addressing all of the learners in your classroom because you may have some that are on the, the lower level that need those um, tasks that aren't quite as challenging to begin with, kind of scaffold.
0: Our next question, oh, this question comes from an instructional technology coach. Their question is, what is the best way to incorporate the technologies in the classroom with teachers with low stress? Ha <laughs> ha, smiley face. All right. <laughs> um, anybody want to tackle that? I'll
1: take that one. I think um, one of the things that I like to tell teachers, it doesn't have to, just because you're picking something for your students to do, you don't have to know every piece of that software or that application. Let them explore. Give them a few minutes to explore it. We'll never know every everything about um, a di- different software pieces, and the kids will find the things that we don't know. Just give them the opportunity to kind of explore and kind of going back to that choice, allowing them, you know, you don't want to limit what they're allowed to do because you don't know how to use it.
0: Oftentimes, teachers do limit students based on their own insecurities
1: and we want it to be a learning experience and it's okay
5: if they don't succeed at first they it, we're all trying to have that mindset where if if we don't succeed we're going to work through it and um, make that a good learning experience
3: And even though it might take a little bit more time to have a an exploration time for the students to learn the technology if they learn it more in depth it'll uh make using that technology down the road in the classroom easier because the students better understand it uh, versus the teacher telling them the one way to use it. And then when that one way doesn't work, the the class comes to a halt. And then technology becomes an obstacle uh, to teaching and learning.
4: As mentioned earlier, um, that was was coming from an instructional technology coach. Um, When working with the teachers, if you're using these different um, tools within your professional development, the teachers might see how easy it is to use it from a student's perspective and then they could possibly integrate that within their classroom. That's a great point. So
0: our last question for the day. I need strategies for making sure students are on the correct site while I'm working with other students. Cool tricks to hold them accountable and things like that.
4: With anything I mean you set the expectations high it starts day one. I just you know from I think we all have similar experiences like from being in the classroom. When we have those students come in from day one, you set those expectations, um, different strategies that you could use, possibly working with the students to come up with those expectations as well, instead of just being teacher-led. Um, having the expectations, how it will look in the classroom set by the students. Helping them be
2: a part of, of creating yeah. those. You know, it's a classroom yeah. management. Um, it may be a device, but back in the day, it was a little chalkboard they held with some chalk.
1: It's the same thing as keeping them on the right page in a, um, in, a in a textbook. I think it also goes back to digital citizenship. If you spend the time at the beginning of the year teaching them the expectations, like Jessica said, I think that you are going to limit the time later on in the year of how many times you're having to keep kids or address kids that are off task
0: kind of like when you teach the normal classroom expectations at the beginning of the year you spend that first week teaching it then you don't have to spend your instructional time throughout the year teaching those expectations all over again because you've taught them and not just told them that's a difference a lot of times we say teaching them when we really just told them
4: and just like with anything else if something occurs have that conversation with them have them reflect on their actions and have them state what will they do next time to help them take ownership in their behavior. Student ownership.
3: ownership again. Teachers. Oh and it's, you know, it's beyond the classroom, too. Um, especially as the students start to get older, they need to realize that they're probably going to be working in an environment or have a career in an environment where um, technology surrounds them, and it can be a tool for, uh, it is intended for a tool for productivity, uh, but it can be a big tool for um Distraction, and mm-hmm. we, you need to make those connections to the real world. As to uh, you know, it's right now. I expect you to be working on a task in class and showing evidence that you complete it, um, and you're getting distracted with with something else.
2: So let's let's give a couple of quick examples though before we um, leave this question, because we've talked a lot about the philosophy behind it. But let's give some real quick tips. I know one that. Um, that we've heard is like uh, to shut your computer, kind of like an alligator mouth. Okay. It, it's um, on. Give me a forty-five. Give me I've a heard forty-five. That a lot. And so you know those Close. those types of tips. And another is you know if you're given a test, you stand in the back of the classroom where you can see all the, the, the screens of the computer um,
3: actively moving. Yeah. Uh, and um, um, red light, green light, yellow light, um, red light uh, in front of the class means no technology at the time. Yellow light for uh, technology use for learning purposes as it's assigned, and uh, green light would be more of a it's, it's free Exploration. No real, no real restrictions to your use so long as it's
0: appropriate if you're given an assessment or doing, have them fill out a Google form. Change the background to the form of the form to be like some bright color like a bright red or a bright yellow. so all you really have to do is glance at the screen and you yeah. can see if they're where they need to be or not.
2: One final thought before we move on um, to the end is to think about your questions. If your assessments are given a question where it's so easy to go into Google and find that answer, then maybe we need to rethink the question itself. So that's just the last tip.
1: Well, we want to thank you for your questions. Make sure you follow us on our Facebook page, BCSD Innovation Squad, and that's where you can submit questions for our future podcasts. Also, follow us on Twitter at BCSD Tech Team.
0: Hashtag BCSD Innovates. Woo-hoo!
5: Woo-hoo! Hi, don't forget about some upcoming dates in October. We have Discoverers Day on October 8th, Digital Citizenship Week, October 15th through the 18th and Global Maker Day on October 23rd. If you would like some extra help or support, don't forget to reach out to your instructional technologists.
0: squad, transforming school It's, the, it's the, the innovation squad, making instruction brand new. the innovation squad, innovation is key. It's the innovation squad, from Berkeley County. It's the innovation squad, transforming School it's, it's the innovation squad, making instruction brand new. It's the innovation squad, innovation is key. It's, innovation uh-huh. uhm。<laughing>? it's the innovation squad, from Berkeley County.